Welcome back, everybody, to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast presented by Black Equity Network. Uh, Definitely am excited about uh, this upcoming week uh, and this episode here and potentially other episodes to come. Uh, Please stay safe. I know we are in the middle of uh, a proposed uh, self-quarantine. So I don't know how serious everything really is. I know what the media is saying, but I do want people to be careful uh, while they are traveling and moving about or staying home. Whatever you decide to do, just make sure you're uh, extra careful. Uh, We recorded uh, this episode prior to uh, knowing of this epidemic, uh, so we did not bring this up during this interview. Uh, But please uh, take this episode as another great piece of wisdom for your business as an entrepreneur or as an investor. Uh, Understanding the blueprint for public relations is going to be key as you move forward. Uh, This episode, uh, we want to give a special uh, shout out to um, the following company. TheHempNeighborhood.com. Uh, sent us a great uh, care package in the mail, which included uh, some of the latest hemp products that they have, which included uh, pre-rolled hemp sticks, uh, gummies that were made from hemp and CBD, uh, a T-shirt that we'll be putting on our Instagram. And so we want to thank them so much uh, for uh, letting us uh, learn about their company, Black-Owned, and it's actually one of our previous guests, uh, Rashard Davis. He sat down with us a few months back and we were talking about redlining in our communities. One of his uh, other companies uh, is thehempneighborhood.com. So go check out their website. Check out all the different things they're doing throughout this week. We will be highlighting them on our Instagram. Uh, so without further ado, I want to get into this episode and uh, talk about the blueprint uh, for Uh, public relations. Our guest today is the CEO and founder of Airy Parsons PR, uh, Portia Airy Parsons, and she leads the agency with a decade of professional communications experience. And to know a little bit more about the actual company that she runs, uh, Airy Parsons is a boutique marketing and public relations agency that concentrates on the needs of established businesses, organizations, and individuals searching for growth and exposure. So we're definitely excited about this conversation for all of our listeners. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast.
Of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm extremely excited about this conversation. Uh, today, we're going to get to talk about uh, the PR space, publicity. Do you need it? Do you not need it? We've got a lot of questions uh, coming up. And uh, on the line, we have uh, Portia Ari. Portia, are you there? I am. Hi, DJ. Welcome. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Thank you. Very excited to be here. You're very welcome. Uh, For those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Sure. Uh, I'm Portia Ari Parson. I am the owner of a boutique marketing and PR agency headquartered in Buffalo, New York. It's called Ari Parson, just just like my name. And um, I got into this career space a couple years ago. I mean, it really kind of happened by mistake. Uh, DJ, I'm a former news announcer. Okay. So I kind of went to the other side. I went to the dark side. <laughs> um, I used to be on the side where I was receiving media alerts and receiving press releases, and now I'm writing them. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, to the very same people in the same seat that I used to sit in just three or four short years ago. Um, but I got in this space really to help out a friend, and I found that I was good at it. And I decided, you know what? There's an opportunity here for me to really make some money and grow and expand and show everyone my talent and my writing capability and my storytelling capability and my communication skills. So Ari Parson was born. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm loving uh, how you're on one side, now you're on the other. I think there's, there's something deep there that we can yeah. get into. But how did you get in on the other side? How did you get into the new side and uh, and being that, that personality, where, where did that come from? Sure. Well, okay. I used to be um, in theater. And as a teenager, and even in my like, probably super early 20s, I thought I was going to be an actress. I thought I was going to be on Broadway. I thought I was going to do all of this, these really neat things. And I'm not ruling it out. But um. I started to think a little bit more about my future and I wasn't really sure if I was going to be interested in fighting that fight with so many people trying to do the very same thing and hoping that someone chose me. And at that time, um, being black and trying to get in theater or film was challenging as it still is challenging, but now it's just so cool to watch all of these black actors and filmmakers really stepping up and just saying, forget you Oscars, forget you everyone else. We're just going to make our own way. So before everyone was getting on that creative wave, um, my peers and I just adopted the idea that we were just going to have to starve and go to New York city and bum it out until we got that role that was going to change our lives forever. Well, the more I started to think about that, the less attractive it became to me. So I said, you know what, maybe I should try doing something else. I know I can talk. I know I can read. I know I can write. So I changed my major to journalism. And from journalism, I went straight into broadcast after graduating. Um, just maybe three months later, the place I interned at, which was a small radio station located in Buffalo, New York. 
they gave me my first job. And at that time, I was working in promotions. Um, and a short time after that, I ended up getting a e-news segment um, on the station. And not long after that, I got picked up by a news station. So I went from a music format to a news format. And that was the local NPR station in Buffalo, New York. And I stayed there for a bit. And, you know, I was just cracking out news, chasing stories. And um, there was something that was not very fulfilling about it. And I realized I was having a hard time finding what I really loved. But the thing was, aside from the theater part of my life, I was doing what I set out to do. I told myself I wanted to be a reporter. I told myself I wanted to be a news announcer. I told myself I wanted to be on the radio and I did it. So I was fulfilled in that respect because I was like, well, I'm accomplishing my goals. That's what I wanted to do. I was on it. I was going after it and I was doing it. And one day a friend of mine um, approached me and she was beginning to climb in her career um, and gain celebrity. And I, she and I remained friends, but occasionally when she would come back home, she would say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, or I have some questions about that. And we were friends, so I didn't mind answering her questions and helping her out just because I really wanted to see her win. I want to see all my friends win. So um, one day she just said, hey, Portia, you know, what do you think about being on my team? And whereas I was super flattered, DJ, that she asked me that, I was more nervous about screwing it up mm -hmm. and losing our friendship that was so valuable to me in the first place. So I declined and was like, hey, I'll just, you know, if you have little questions, I'll give you little tips and things like that. You know, we don't have to put a title on it. <laughs> you know, some people don't want to put a title on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Don't put a title on it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Um, she asked me a, sec a second time, some time later, and I said the same thing. And shortly after that, probably maybe about three months, she had landed a role in the movie. And her sister was managing her at that time. And her sister called me. And her sister and I were actually, we developed a friendship first. Right. So her, her sister called me. She said, hey, uh, she got this um, new gig. She's going to be in this new movie coming out. And it was the part three of a, a franchise movie. So I was like, oh, wow, that's super cool. And she says, well, they're asking her if she has a publicist. And she doesn't. So I was wondering if you could jump in and be the publicist. Well, DJ, I thought they had had this conversation and she told her sister, I asked her twice and she said, no, maybe you should try it. See, I right. thought it was a back. Right. Out, they never had the conversation about me. Mm. And she just asked me just because. So I agreed thinking this was the third attempt to get me to, you know, really be on board and be a part of her team. So I just said, yes. Plus I was super proud of her and I couldn't think of a better way to actually be super useful as a friend. And that was when I realized, you know what, this could be something greater than me chasing news always. No. And oh, good. I'm sorry. No. And that was, that was when I actually just started doing it. You, you know, Hey, can you be the publicist? You say yes. And then you say, hold on, this could be something that, you know, I can do uh, more than just one time, more than just this, this, this one uh, type of event. What was it about what you were doing that made you say, okay, I can do this on a full-time basis? It was the challenge of, I'm not, I'm not going to even say that. 
it was the fact that I felt like I had an in already. Like I had the blueprint or the playbook on a game that I could easily win because I had the playbook. I was already a news announcer. I already know what media wants because I am media. So for that reason, I felt like this is going to be an easy gig and I'm going to kill it, you know, just because that was my background already. Um, I did have a graduate degree in public relations. Okay. Um, I ended up receiving that uh, a little bit later. I started working as a publicist beforehand, okay. but I felt like, you know, I just wanted to get formal education. I'm a big proponent of um, education. So I decided to go back to school for my graduate studies anyway, but I was practicing before then. But yeah, I felt like I have the playbook. I know how to win this game. I'm just going to have to figure it out as I go to get like all the nooks and crannies right. But that was the reason I said, you know what? All right, maybe I could just do this, like go all the way in. So from that moment that you say, okay, maybe I can go and really do this. From that moment to starting the company, how long of a period was that? Two years, DJ. Two years. Um, There was some fear in there. There used to be a saying, um, and it may not be a universal saying, but they used to say around where I'm from in the area of PR, they would say, if you go to school for PR, don't work for yourself first, Mm. work for someone else. And I tried to work for other people. I applied for jobs um, at PR agencies and nobody called me back. Right. And I was kind of curious about that because I was like, nobody sees it the way I see it. I was a news announcer. I've already got the contacts, you know, and if I don't have the contacts, I certainly know how to get them. So why isn't anyone giving me a bone? Like nobody is giving me even a call. I didn't even get an interview, DJ. Mm. And I realized, look, if I'm going to be something, then I just need to just be something. And I was out for a jog and I was um, listening to an audio book. Um, I believe it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like everyone around, you know, and um, there was part of that book that like made me stop right in my tracks. And I think reading it or hearing it at, at that point, hearing it hit different now that I'm an adult versus when I was a teenager, you know, hearing it before. And there was a line in the book where he says, rich people let the money work for them. Poor people work for money. Right. I want to say it the proper way because I flipped it around. Poor people work for money. Rich people let the money work for them. Gotcha. And I realized at that point, I was trying to be a poor person. You get what I'm saying? I was trying to work for someone else when I was already doing the job, not working for someone else, working for me. So I said, you know what? Maybe it's supposed to be this way. And I'm a woman of faith. And I believe that things are revealed to me and things are allowed for a purpose. I think things just fall the way they're supposed to fall. And if you live a life where you accept what God allows um, and I'm not trying to get, you know, super spiritual, but this is just how my thoughts are processed. Sure. Um, you find some peace. So in accepting the fact that nobody was trying to give me an opportunity to get a job, perhaps it's better for me to create the job. Yes. And perhaps I already created the job. I just didn't put a name on it. 
Yeah, I mean, perhaps you you are what was, you know, valuable. You know, like you say, you didn't necessarily have a name. You didn't necessarily have a title behind it. But it was just your, your natural uh, skill sets and gifts that are inside of you. For sure. And so then once you package it up and give it a name and all the other stuff, then the world can then receive, okay, well, you know, I see what you can do. Now let me, let's bring you some more clients. Let's bring you some more uh, opportunities. Indeed. Indeed. And better than all of that, well, not better than all that, but one of the best parts of that is I make my own money instead of making someone else's money. Gotcha. Yeah. That that's 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 true equity uh for black equity. So you, sure. you enter into this space. Now we can get now it's about to get real good. Uh-oh. So what is what what do you actually do? What is it that you do in the PR space? And how was it different than uh you may have imagined, you know, sitting uh sitting on the other side? Okay. What Ari Parson does is we create, we connect, and then we grow brands. We do it in that order. We create, whether that be creating a story, whether that is creating a vibe, creating a name, we create it and then we connect it to the audience that it needs to be connected to, the audience that's going to water it and then we make that baby grow. That's what Ari Parson is. And for that to be our mantra, it's really worked for us because it really just feels like, look, this is really the strength of who we are. I'm trying to hear part two. What was part two of that question? Oh, no, you, you're, 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 you're right on track here. So create, connect, and grow brands. Are there, is there a particular type of uh, industry that you work with or a particular type of brand that you work with? Well, I started in entertainment, um, and it seems like I was bleeding into lifestyle a bit, but entertainment just kind of seems to be where I am still, which is fine, because I actually really like representing people Okay. Um, versus brands. And I'm not saying I don't like representing brands. When I say brands, I mean items, you know, or um, organizations. Right. I like people because I can play around more with people. You know, um, so yeah, I'm in the lifestyle and entertainment space, but I lean a little bit more towards entertainment. Now, when you say entertainment, what do you what do you define as uh, the entertainment space? Just for those who are listening who, are, who may be interested, uh, musicians who have um, gotten to a certain status in their career. Okay. Um, award shows. Recently, um, we did an award show that's actually in upstate New York, and it was quite a success. I'm actually just coming off of that high. Um, it was on Sunday, and you want to talk about having that many Black, beautiful people in one room, and they are enjoying, thoroughly enjoying being in each other's company mm. and celebrating each other. That was like the most fulfilling thing I have done all year long. And I know we're just in month two, but it made me feel like if this is where I'm at right now in February, the rest of this year is just going to be it's gonna, it's gonna be the bomb. Awesome. Because I left a place that many people in this great country that we call America would say there was a problem, there was a fight, there was a shooting, and none of that happened. Right. 
None of that happened. I was in a space where sisters and brothers were complimenting each other and celebrating each other. And I was so proud to be a part of it, not to go off on a tangent, but I was so proud to be a part of it because the woman that actually started this organization um, and started this award show had this come to her because there was a need. She noticed that in her urban community, in her inner city community, there were people that were making a difference and people who were killing it in their craft or in their talent or whatever their lane was, and they were not being recognized and they were not being celebrated. And no matter what city you live in, there's a ton of different award shows and black tie galas and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes we don't always find ourselves on the guest list. Right. You know, we don't find ourselves as award recipients for everything. So she said, you know what, I'll build it. And this is the city of Rochester, New York's Mm -hmm. exclusive award show, but it's an urban award show. It's inner city and it's just it's fabulous. It's real. They are awarding people for being humanitarians. They're awarding young people for being rising stars. But they're also no, they're also keeping it real, and they're awarding the. I'm just going to name some 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 um, of the categories. The best author right. for that year, based on the work that was produced. The best stage play or the best playwright. Like these are things that they are recognizing each other for that no one else is talking about. And I love it because it's bringing awareness to that community, and that's a community that doesn't always know what's going on around the corner from them, because it's it's a city. Right. You know, it's not a two block neighborhood. So in her creating this event and creating this platform to recognize and honor people that are making changes and doing positive things in that city and in that community, but are still going unrecognized, she's creating a spotlight for people to actually turn their heads and look now yeah. and actually see, oh, wait, there's a black play right here that did this, or there's a play going on, or did you know for Color Girls? Uh, was being produced at the little theater on so-and-so street, you know, and that kind of thing is really, really neat and very fulfilling. Yeah, it's very powerful. And so you're, you're mentioning working with musicians, you work with the award show. Are there any other areas that you also work with? Yes, I work with actors um, and music artists, but I kind of put that under musicians. Gotcha. And so how important is it for uh, black entertainers to have representation from someone who looks like them? You know, there have been conversations um, about black publicists getting a chance, um, especially when it comes to black celebrities. Um, one of the hard things that some black publicists or most have to face if they're not in a very, very strong space in their career is that sometimes they don't even get the chance to show off their skills and their talent. And they're not less talented than anyone else. But sometimes they may not be as trusted. And I'm not really sure why that is. Right. But it is something that we see and we've paid attention to. In my opinion, I think it is important for Black artists or um, in whatever space you're in, whereas you re- where you re- you are required to have a publicist, it's good to have someone there who understands you. Sometimes there are cultural differences because we are different people, 
and we are different ethnicities. And sometimes you can make a statement that could be misunderstood or misread. And if your publicist doesn't understand you or your publicist can't interpret for you, then you could be at a loss. And the truth is, and a lot of people don't know this, if you do something really bad to damage yourself and your brand, your publicist has the option to walk away from you. Right. You know, and I think sometimes people think it's a you work for me kind of deal. They may work for you, yeah, but it's contractual. They have the option to walk away if you totally blow it, if you do something so outrageous that there's no coming back from it, you know, they can. So I think it's a good to try and share the wealth by working with someone within your community when you know these are people that have worked just as hard and they did the work and they got the education or they got the experience that they needed so they can really kill it in that industry or whatever industry that client is in. But if they're not really given the opportunity, then it's it's really a bummer and they lose out on some things and the client really could lose out on some opportunities because they don't know what this black publicist could have done for them. That could have really probably taken their career to the next level because they understand them. You know, you mentioned something earlier that you said gave you somewhat of, uh, of an advantage. You said you, you knew what the media wanted. You know what media wants. Uh, without giving away all your secret sauce, what does media want? Something to talk about. Something that people care about. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm the publicist and I think it's my company's responsibility to be real with our clients. Your publishers, your publicists should keep it real with you at all times. I don't believe your publicist should be so focused on making you happy that you lose. And I tell my clients, I'm going to be all up in your business. And I say it just like that. And it warrants a laugh, it warrants a chuckle, but it's important for you and your publicist to have that relationship. Because the last thing a publicist is is going to want is to be thrown off guard. But I I digress. The media is only interested in something that an audience is going to be interested in hearing about. Hmm. We don't necessarily care that your cat has blue eyes. We don't. Right. Um, I use this example um, because when you are trying to appeal to media, when you're trying to appeal to press, you have to tell them something that they don't know. So if I said, DJ, um, hey, I've got these sweaters for $19.99 and they're cozy. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, who cares? Okay, so what? So does so does Kmart. So does JCPenney. So does Macy's. Who cares? Right. But if I say to you, here are five reasons millennials are rushing to get this sweater and it's so cozy and it's under $19.99 or it's under 20 bucks. You're a little more curious now. Right. Now you want to know because I've got something to tell you that you didn't know. So that's the difference. Having something that you can share that is actually going to garner some interest is what the media cares about. They're also looking for proximity. How does this relate to where they are? you know, prominence. Why is this important? Um, there are things that people just are drawn to and simple facts are just that they're simple. And I sometimes I've had to tell clients, you know, that's cute. That's really cool when you and I are talking about it, but 
I cannot pitch that because I would not care if I was an average person. If I was sitting in the newsroom still, or if I was sitting at a publication, a uh, magazine publication or an online uh, publication waiting to put out a killer story and I see that come through my email, I'm going to scroll past it. Right. There's nothing that stands out. So always finding the story, always getting down to what makes you unique is what's going to help you stand out. So you just okay. you just mentioned about, you know, pitching a story or pitching an idea. Uh, so if someone's listening to this and they're potentially going to be one of your clients, who, who exactly are you pitching? Who are you talking to? Who are you in constant communication with uh, as my publicist? I'm talking to a person who has reached a point in their career where they have something special about them and they're looking to be pushed. They're looking to actually be in the press. They're looking to remain relevant. So uh, who would who exactly would you be speaking with when you say like online media uh, sources? Is it magazines? Is it radio? Who, who are you talking it's- to? It's any media. It's any form of media. It's TV. It's a TV show. It's a blog. It's a magazine. It's a radio show. It's your favorite radio shows. It's anything that you consume as part of your form of media. And sometimes it's more than that. Like, you know, I don't want to box publicity in. Publicity isn't always the press. Publicity sometimes is what you're doing, your uh, your philanthropy. You know, how are you making a difference? It's your relationships. It's your alliances. It's your alignments. For example, um, a really good example of um, great PR is anyone that's been paying attention to Nike, they've been just really on it. Like 2019, they had a great year, especially when they jumped on that whole Colin Kaepernick, just do it campaign. We were watching them take a societal stance. And social issues are so important now because you've got all these brands coming out and they're not afraid anymore. There was a time where brands didn't really want to get their hands dirty, but there was an article that I read some time ago and I don't really want to try and quote it because I'm going to mess it up because I read it so long ago. But the information showed that there was such a large percentage of people that are more likely to patronize a brand if that brand takes a societal stance on an issue. Sure, you'll lose people. Like, we know there were a number of people that started burning Nikes. They were so mad. (laughs) They were so mad. But then there were a number of people that were like, you know what, Nike, that's what's up. I'm with it. Yeah, I love that Nike is, they have Colin Kaepernick's back. We do too, you know? It's a dangerous thing to do. You need to really be sure about it. But when you do that sort of thing, you're sending a message that you're human and you're not just on paper. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that really makes people feel good about their purchases that they are making and the businesses that they're supporting when they say, you know what, I like what they stand for. I'm going to spend my money there. Definitely. You know, you mentioned something a few moments ago. You talked about um how a lot of times it's just simply uh talking about what you have going on not always necessarily trying to get you know publicity or 
uh, interview, but, you know, saying, hey, I, I launched this particular initiative or I just partnered with this company or I'm doing a turkey drive for Thanksgiving, but creating creating your own moments, creating your own pieces of news and letting people know this is what I got going on that you should know about. I think that's very important for people to understand that it's not just, you know, sitting down and being interviewed and being on big platforms, but also having your own life and your own uh, narrative that you're, you're carving out. It's absolutely true. You know, people get tired of feeling like they got to buy everything, you know, even if they're not spending money. And a lot of times we kind of know when somebody's just trying to sell us on something, you know, we're in election season right now. We're going to get salespeople coming out the wazoo and they're all going to be trying to run for some seat in some respect. And that's just the world we live in. You're either buying or you're selling. But I do believe (laughs) discretion is key. And I do believe there's a way to do things and still be tasteful. And I do believe you should really do the things that you believe in. So I'm not going to tell someone to be on board for PETA if they've got 17 fur coats in their closet. You know what I mean? Right. They don't believe in that. And it's going to backfire because one of these days you're going to go out and you're going to be with your friends and you're going to have your boots with the fur on and it's going to be all over the blogs, all over the news. It's going to be everywhere. And all that hard work we just put into talking about how we don't want to harm animals just went out the window. And now we got to clean up the fact that you're a liar. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, but if you believe in it, it's different because there's passion there and you don't have to get paid for it. You believe in it. You're firm on it. This is actually who you are. And I try to only take clients that are good people. Right. I really do. Because if I'm going to be working with you and you're going to be working with me, we have to be able to agree that we can be in the same space and be effective. And it's not always just business. You know how some people say it's just business, it's just business. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's business. But Each person in this party, they have the choice to accept or decline this business opportunity. Am I right? So I usually only work with people I can absolutely agree with because I was in sales uh, for about six years. Um, And as a salesperson, I had to sell what was in the company I was with, what was in their portfolio. Right. Products. There was no way I was going to feel confident in going out, pitching and talking to people about what I had to sell them if I didn't believe it worked. Right. So if I can't get with you or if your publicist can't get with you on some things, it might be a challenge for that person. I have not encountered that because I always try and take things that I believe in. Because that makes me look good because I'm going to kill it on my job. My team is going to kill it. And we're going to perform good for you. So you're going to kill it. Right. You know what I mean? So if you are really on board, if you really believe in something, you want to tell your publicist because your your publicist can say, you know what? This is who this person is. We need to align them with people just like them. That's what we should do. Now, are you and, are you ahead, open to uh, clients outside of New York, or how? What does your current clientele look like? Is it your? Uh, I have or? 
Yeah, I have publicists across the nation. I have publicists all the way in LA. I mean, I have clients all the way in LA. A good publicist can do PR from anywhere. And excuse the term, do PR, because I do not like to say that. But a publicist can perform services of a public relations professional mm-hmm. anywhere. So what does that look like? If, if you're my publicist, how often are we talking? We are talking. I, I talk to my clients a lot. Some only guarantee you biweekly. Um, it really kind of depends. Like I think in the early stages, you're talking a lot. And that's because there's a lot of getting to know you that happens. But typically after that, it is, it is sort of biweekly. But I'm in very close communication with my clients. Okay. And it may not always be by an actual call. It could very much so be very strong text message, uh, very strong with text messaging. Uh, because sometimes they're very busy and I got to shoot them a text. And when they respond, I just have to make a move when they respond. Right. Now me, I have to always be responsible. Right. I have to jump all the time. <laughs> so, uh, because there's opportunity that's always waiting and timeliness is everything in my field. I can't sleep because if I sleep, I could miss something that could really change the game. So relationships are very important in your line of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really good to make friends because friends do favors for you. Friends make things happen. And if friends find you reliable, they don't have a problem doing any of those things because you've shown yourself to be a friend to them, a a good work colleague. Right. No, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, you talked about Nike, um, earlier, how do you feel when you see things kind of come in the news where, um, people are just on the wrong side of history? You know, you think of maybe an actress slips up and says the N word or, uh, someone, uh, does something and maybe a company does something with, monkey t-shirts and how do you feel as a publicist when you see these stories get out uh and they're just culturally clueless to you know uh, black culture these are the reasons why representation and diversity are so key and it's so important because something like that which those are examples of things that have happened that kind of stuff i don't even know how that slips through the crack Mm-hmm. That would have to be a really big crack for it to slip through. So at that point, it's kind of like you decided that this is the only place you want to be. And today we're so sensitive. Um, and we should be because we've got a lot to be worried about. You know, the state of this culture. And when I say this culture, I mean this country. This country's culture is based or is, is full of offenses so when you know that cultural insensitivity is something that you really really want to avoid it is very important that you have someone in your team that is at least equipped to handling these sorts of issues sometimes people do not educate themselves on what's not okay because in their world they can do whatever they want Right. And not really acknowledge the fact that in the rest of the world, for people that do not look like them, there are consequences. So when there are comments that are made or when there are uh, things that are done that are harmful 
to another culture, whether it be emotionally or physically, that is going to cause problems. And if you have not already prepped yourself and prepped your clients on things that they need to be aware of or on things that they need to avoid, they're going to screw up. No. And I do, I do put that responsibility on the publicist. Now, before I go too far, True. there is responsibility that goes on that client, right. on that person, because they have to, in the midst of them being free to speak and do whatever they want to do, you know, the right that pretty much we all have, with every action, there's a reaction. So you have to be able to think about what you say and think about what you do before you just start flying off the handle. <laughs> But what are some of the consequences? Like, you know, I want to say whatever I want to say. I want to do whatever I want to do. But if I do that, what could happen to me? You could ruin your career. Somebody might not want to hire you. You might get blackballed. Mm. You know, you might wonder, well, why didn't I get invited to that gala? All the other A-listers are there. Nobody wants to be associated with you, man. Right. You're trouble. You're a problem. And nobody likes a problem. People like a little controversy, but a problem, nobody likes a problem. Because then it's more headaches. It's, it's uh, you're hurting the bottom line. Well, that, and you, you're absolutely right, but you also don't know. It's, there's too much unknown. Okay. There's too much unknown. There, you could literally do something that causes someone else to do something. Right. And that spirals out of control. So you're looking at everything from all angles. So you have a client, you're paying attention to everything that could be going on out there um, publicly, and you're, you're trying to do your best uh, to put strategies in place to make sure that they're well protected uh, on, on a public sphere. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. So there are things called proactive strategies and reactive strategies. Okay. And a proactive strategy is something that you put in place um, and that is in the event that something that could happen happens. So it hasn't happened yet. Okay. So uh, let's see if I can give you an example. An example of a proactive strategy is if you are a restaurant owner of this huge chain of restaurants and there is a fire that kills someone. Right. Or kills people. Okay. The media is going to be all over that. Yeah. But if you don't have something in place already that is well thought out in advance, so you're not panicking to figure out what to do when it actually happens, if it ever happens, God forbid, then you're going to feel really uncomfortable and you might say or do the wrong thing. So a proactive strategy is already planned. You already, not to give away too many details, but you already pretty much have a script prepared. Mm-hmm. For what you want to say, you already have your contingency. Uh, you already have the media lined up for who you're going to send your information to, your statements to. Gotcha. That way, everybody's getting it at the same time, and the message is the same. Nobody's saying one thing that doesn't agree with something somebody else says. Cohesiveness is going to be so important. So that's a proactive strategy. A reactive strategy is a reactive strategy. Putting something together. Um, when it happens. Right. And sometimes that's not always fun. But when you have these strategies in place, I promise you, you feel much more comfortable in your day-to-day activity. 
Well, you just dropped a gem on us. So I did. I'm did. trying to help somebody, and that's free. <laughs> so how do I, how do how does someone know? Maybe they're not in the entertainment. Uh, as business owners, investors, how does someone know that? Okay, maybe I need to consider a publicist. What what could be some signs that things are going on in their life where they may need it? If you're not in the entertainment realm, but you have a business or an organization that you are seeking to reach masses, mass amounts of people, you may want to consider a publicist. Because for the reach that you're trying to garner, it could be very challenging for you to try and do it yourself, especially because you are more than likely not going to have the resources that a publicist has and the relationships that a publicist has. Okay, so it's about audience size, you think? It depends on who you are. So, like, give me an example. Are you saying, like, if if you decided that you wanted to open a, what, like a grocery store or a not-for-profit? Well, yeah, let's let, let's go with that. Someone owns a non, non-for-profit uh, company, and it's, it's taken off. They're starting to see some, uh, starting to see a lot of traction in their business. At what point do you get to to a point where you're like, well, maybe I need to start getting some outside help, getting getting someone that is familiar with the media. When, when do you see when do you see those signs, or what are those signs that let you know, okay, now is that time? A not for profit could get a publicist right away, right? But it's not for profit, you know. So if even if you are for profit and you are a business, but you're not someone who's like I can do my business from my living room you know when you're someone who actually are depending on the actions of a large amount of people to find your success you need a publicist okay understood Mm -hmm. now this is a lot of great information because I think a lot of business owners investors uh they kind of go at it on their own and and, uh no one's shaping their narrative and you can tell that no one is shaping their narrative or helping to shape the narrative uh, because it's all over the place. And something you said earlier about being very clear and concise is so key. And it takes sometimes having that outside person who can, you know, uh, mold it for you. For Um, sure. How did you know that it was uh, best practices to create, um, connect, and then grow grow a business? Why, Why... how did you know that it was those three steps? Um, I have experience in different areas and I, they all stayed in communication. So I didn't like veer off and do like fashion or anything like that. Like I stayed in the realm of communication. So between having a journalistic background and having a marketing background and having a promotions background, these are really just things I learned along the way and they're proven to work. Um, it's like, you ever heard that if you build it, they will come? Yes, I have. Well, if you build it, someone's created it. Right. You know, so when you create it, okay, it's just sitting there. It's not always so simple as if it's there, people will come. Well, it's there. Well, people have to know it's there for them to come. Right. So that's where the connect comes in. That's the publicity, you know, so now we've created it and we've connected people to it and the connection with your audience, with the people or the, the publics, as we say, in, in our world, that's your water. That's what's watering your seed. Because the more attention that it gets, 
that's the more clicks. That's the more visits to your website. That's the the more followers on your social media. That's the more people who want to check out the movie that you're in or, you know, listen to your music. The more people that are into you because you've connected with them, you're going to grow. You're either going to do, you're going to either grow up or not grow down, but just kind of do nothing. Yeah. But people will still have to know you to know that you're nothing. Mm, that is true. That's very true. Yeah. They would have to so, know you that to know that you're nothing. To know that you're nothing. Mm. Otherwise, they're just saying you never heard of them. Right, right, because you never existed. Right, but that's not necessarily so bad because at that point, now we got to work on your image. If they know you and they're like, yeah, but they're trash, okay, that's an opinion that someone has. Right. First, let's monitor how many people have that very same opinion. If we find out that there are a large number of people or a substantial enough size population of people who feel this way, we have to figure out how we can change their attitudes about you. Right. So you've been created, you've been connected, but if you're not growing, we have to figure out why and then work on that so you can grow. See, a lot of the, the great work that you do is what I, on, on, on my side of the table, I'm always analyzing. I'm always looking at uh, a brand or a person. I'm like, man, that person has a really great publicist because I don't know how they bounce back from that. They, uh-huh. they, they was almost gone. Like, so, so here are some examples. So I'm looking at, and you can speak to it or not. I, I don't know, you know, your, your relationships. But I'm looking at a few weeks ago, you know, Lizzo shows up to uh, the Lakers uh, game, half naked, uh, booty <laughs> out. And everybody is like, we're done with Lizzo. No more Lizzo. L- Lizzo's done. And less than a week later, two weeks later, she's still winning awards. She- she's racking up <laughs> awards everywhere. And now it's just back to normal. Everybody loves Lizzo. Uh, what were your thoughts when you kind of saw that whole back and forth uh, with her? I appreciated Lizzo for just being real. Mm-hmm. Um, she did release a statement. Right. You know, he was on her Instagram and I watched part of it. And um, I was a little tickled because I'm like, okay, what is she going to say? Because she was doing this thing like she was crying. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> is she going to back down? Like, well, what is she going to do? Right. And she didn't. She didn't. She's very pro who she is. She's very um, against body shaming. And if people don't know by now, Lizzo is like Lady Gaga. When they come, you just don't know what you're going to get. Right. You really don't. And when you decide that you want to follow them on social media or you want to watch them perform, you've signed up for something that you don't know about. Right. And that's a contract. You know, so if you sign that contract by deciding to actually indulge in watching their performances or watching um, or following them on social media, you're going to get whatever they give you. So I think Lizzo just owned it. And sometimes apologizing isn't always the answer. Right. You know, and I think sometimes people just think the first thing you have to do is apologize for it. Well, why would she apologize for it if that's who she is? If she's told you, this is who I am. If you watch every show and this girl is half naked and not caring anything about waving her body around and it's her body to wave around, then why would she get on social media or on the blogs or whatever form of media you're, you're used to, you know, 
receiving and apologize for being herself. That's totally against who she is. That's totally against her music. Very true. You know, she's got that song and she's saying, feeling good as hell. Like, what? This girl is, she's being authentic. Right. So you like how that all played out. There's nothing there that you said, I might have done this a little bit different. You're good with how all that played out. I think I Lizzo caught me off guard when she was and turned around and I saw she didn't have no draws on. <laughs> you know? I was caught off guard. But after I finished clutching my pearls, right. I said, you know what? But that's Lizzo. <laughs> that's Lizzo. She was having a good time. She was drinking. I know who Lizzo is. I don't know her personally, but I know who Lizzo is just because I know her celebrity. Right. This is what you get. It's what we signed up for. This is who we allowed to be famous. So on the flip side, you said apologizing isn't always the answer. So I think about no. a year or two ago, uh, Kevin Hart with the Oscars, he's supposed to host it. And then all this, uh, all these things happened with Kevin Hart. They went on to apologize for comments from years past. Uh, looking back on that situation, how do you think that was handled? Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't really follow that too much. Mm. I do remember hearing about it, but I didn't, I can't really even remember what all that was about. Well, he ends up cleaning it up now. You know, he puts out a, um, a documentary, the documentary on Netflix. Uh, it's just kind of, to me, I, something you said earlier about having a clear, concise, uh, you know, uh, communication. It seems like it was all over the place. First, I'm not apologizing. I'm not, you know, going to speak on this anymore. And then they just kept kept uh, putting out more and more things that kind of hinted towards apologies and uh, hinting towards he was wrong. Then a documentary. So it's kind of like he's having to clean up a lot of what, uh, you know, he said he wouldn't have to clean up before. Um, but yeah, it, it to me, I kind of like his stance. I, um, he had these these tweets from seven years ago saying that he hoped his son would never uh, be gay or whatever, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And then the Grammys were saying, well, you have to, not Grammys, the Oscars were saying you have to apologize before you can host them. And he says, well, you know, I'm not going to uh, host the Oscars then because I'm not apologizing. And uh, to me, I kind of like the stance. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm not apologizing. I've already apologized. I've already apologized for this years ago. And then it just it became a thing where everywhere you went on his media tour for his movie, The Upside, Good Morning America, this podcast, this place, everybody's saying, will you apologize? And it became a distraction. Yeah. And so uh, what, what do you do in those situations where the story that's out there is bigger than what you're trying to sell? He's trying to sell a movie and nobody's even talking about it. I was thinking while you were telling me the story that there must be something at stake. Yeah. And that would be the only reason I would think somebody would, and I don't even want to say this about Kevin Hart, but backpedal um, because there's something much larger at risk. And he probably didn't want to do it. You know, it could have been, it could have been his publicist or his manager that was like, look, if we want this to do well, we got to do this because these people don't want to leave it alone. Yeah. Um, I do. I will say this. I think comedians have it hard nowadays. And I think it's because I was watching Dave Chappelle's, um, Netflix, I believe it was Netflix, mm -hmm. stand up, the recent one that he did. Right. And he was talking about, you know, how comedians are just kind of getting hit yeah. over the head 
because they can't even be free to be comedians anymore. And I understood that because sometimes when you censor a comedian so much, you're not even funny anymore. And that makes it hard for them to do their job because they built their entire careers off of being offensive, not just to one group, but to every group. Right. You know, and Kevin Hart was a comedian that talked about everything. And I think it really stinks when, and I want to be careful with how I say this because I don't want to come off the wrong way because sometimes people, sometimes you can say one thing and it can be misinterpreted. And instead of people asking for clarity, they'll just run with it. Mm -hmm. They'll take a quote without even getting some further insight or asking for a further explanation um, and just say, this is what she said. So this is what she meant. And I think it's very difficult to be perceived the way you choose to be perceived in the profession of comedy when you are trying to still maintain a audience that enjoys you for being you, for being who what, who is what made you famous. I know I just messed that whole thing up dramatically. But, you know, being true and being who we remember, but to survive, they have to alter a bit of who they are. And I think that's a sacrifice mm. that has to be made. And it's a sacrifice that I don't think any other person in the entertainment industry has to really make. Well, you lose a piece of who you are if you um, if you can't be as authentic as you want to be. Yeah, if you have to censor everything when you are an uncensored person. Right. And being uncensored is who we loved and who we fell in love with and who we brought purchase tickets for if we have the same if we think we're going to see um, I'm just naming if we think we're going to see the same Kevin Hart from 2003 to and it's 2020 and we find out that 2003 Kevin Hart no longer exists because 2020 Kevin Hart can't say the same things that he used to say in 2003 it might kind of discourage a buyer right you know, because they're like, brand hey, a certain he's not way. funny, right? Yeah, you know. But then comes, and this might be a great topic before we head out. There, there comes a time for a rebrand. Yeah, you can build a brand up, you can grow it, but then it may, you know, plateau, and you may have to reach a point where it's like, okay, I mean, we still have an audience, we still have people watching us, but it might be time for a rebrand. I think in any profession, you are expected to grow. And for a number of reasons. One reason is you're going to get old. And the same things that you were doing then, it's not going to be, it's not going to be received the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Okay. So if I'm doing, if I'm doing, if I'm a dancer and I'm doing cartwheels and flips and splits in my 20s and I'm known for doing all of these really cool dance moves in my 20s and 30 years later you might get me to do it once in a while mm-hmm. but I probably won't do it like I did when I was in my 20s right. but at this I need to have matured my brand mm-hmm. so now I needed to have opened a dance school or created a charity for dancers or an inner city program for um, at youth um, kids who are dancers or are looking for a way to express themselves. Like now I have to focus on leaving a legacy or building a legacy. 
So now your, your goals change. And that's all a part of what your PR plan should be. That's what your publisher should be working with you about constantly. It's not just when I'm famous. It's not just when I'm in movies. It's my lifestyle. You know, how can I still remain relevant even when I can't move like I used to? When we see athletes getting older, you know, after a while, we don't see them on the basketball courts anymore. Now they've progressed. You see them, they're um, sports analysis, analysts. They're doing all these other things because they've matured. Right. And their brand has matured. Magic Johnson is always like a great example. You yeah. know, he was a killer athlete for so long, gotten older, he's changed, but he's changed for the better. You know, we'll always be able to look back on video clips and pictures of him doing all these really neat things. And I'm not even um, a big athletic, um, what's the word I'm trying to use, kind of sore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're a publicist, you got to know a little bit about everything. Right, right. <laughs> got to know a little bit about everything. Yeah, he's one but, of those. Yeah, you, you, I knew that. I know enough to know that. Right. You know, I know enough to know that he's part of the Lakers franchise. And that he is something that is going to last forever. You know, when he's gone, his name will still ring bells. Right. We get it. And that's a lasting legacy. And these are things that people need to think about as they mature in their careers with their publicists. Okay, so this is me in 2020. What does me in 2030 look like? You know, what does me in 2025 look like? So PR is really a long-term view uh, of, of your brand, of your legacy, of everything that you're trying to share with the world of, of who you are and what you're going to leave behind when you're no longer here. I always tell people, because people really, believe it or not, have a hard time understanding what public relations is. Mm. And public relations is exactly what it says. It is your relationship with the public, yes. period. It's very simple. And I think where people get caught up is they're like, well, how do you have a relationship with the public? <laughs> you know, right. how do you have a relationship with your friends? So it's having a relationship with the public, but more importantly, the public that matters to you. There are a lot of different publics. Notice the usage of my words. I'm, I'm, I'm following. You drop yeah, I put an S on it. Yeah, I'm smart. I went to college. I'm college educated. I'm very smart. I know what I'm saying. Publics. There are different publics. One has a different audience that they're trying to attract. It's your publicist's job to find out who that audience is that you're trying to attract. Sometimes you will shift publics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because now you're looking for and that when, as you grow, as you mature, as you expand, now you're looking for more people. Maybe your interests have changed. Maybe you are a former singer and you have gotten, maybe you're a country singer and you had a bout with a stroke. Okay. Well, now your audience was once just country lovers, right? Right. Well, now we've got to figure out a way to kind of get you over to this other side of people who might recognize your face a little bit, but they didn't care about you in the past, but now they can relate to you because now you're talking about health. Right. Problem they might have. Exactly. You know, so those are just a couple of examples. I know we have to go, but I wanted to um, 
to at least share some of my favorite PR um, success stories. And they're not mine. They're just some of my favorite studies um, that I think are really cool. Um, I remember when I was I was pitching a brand and I was talking to them about taking this a, a social stance, mm-hmm. accepting social responsibility, because there are a number of brands that are still afraid of it. Okay, so you if you just pay attention, it's not a ton of people that are like, hey, we're against this, you right, know, right. it's not a lot of them yet, but they're, they're, they're creeping up. But um, State Street Corporation, uh, I thought this was really neat in 2016. Um, they had to figure out a way to address the lack of gender diversity in corporate America and mm-hmm. their um, the company they were working with that they hired, the public relations agency that they hired, helped them create something called the Fearless Girl Campaign. And the organization, State Street Corporation, created an exchange trade, a fund, which was reserved only for corporations who had larger percentages of women employed. Mm. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's and right. yeah, so that means we're not going to give you money unless you're diversifying your staffing. Right. Okay, and what I thought was really cool about that was to kind of like put the icing on the cake was if you're in New York City ever it you'll see a little girl on Wall Street standing. I'm not sure how often you make it out there, Mm -hmm. but she's standing on Wall Street. She's got her hands on her hips and she's just kind of like looking forward. And that was a part of that campaign. Um, Another example was uh, JCPenney. Um, some years ago, just a couple years ago, I think it was about around 2017, they were trying to address a poverty crisis, um, and they created um, a campaign called Pair Up with J.C. Penney, the agency they were working with. And J.C. Penney got with the YMCA, and they teamed up, and they provided underprivileged families undergarments like socks and underwear and you know things like that, and that helped them look good. So I'm only bringing this up because I was talking to you earlier in the conversation about social responsibility and taking a stance and not necessarily doing things just because you want people to buy a ticket to your show or you want them to, you know, do other things. These are things that are people just are doing. These were free. Right. You get it? Yeah. You know, it was just something they did to say, hey, look, look, we're going to help. And this is how we're going to help this situation. You got a problem. Here's, a, here's something we can do to address that problem. It's important to show you have a heart, you know. Um, people are always going to gravitate towards someone who uh, isn't just all about the bottom line. <laughs> you know, if you show that you got uh, a heart and you're actually putting your money where, where your mouth is, uh, people are always going to want to support that and be a part of that. So I thank you for, for sharing that. Oh, no problem. No problem. And I thank you for having this conversation with me. I hope I help somebody out there listening and answer some questions oh, or even you done blessed us with so many gems. I got so much written down right now. Uh, this is very, <laughs> very, very beautiful conversation. Uh, so before we go, is there any final thoughts that you have for uh, people out there within the culture who are thinking about uh, bringing on a publicist for their team? Any final thoughts for them? Don't be afraid to grow. Sometimes um, people of color are worried about the money and I get it because a lot of times people of color hold on to money. Um, 
And sometimes they have their reasons for holding on to money. Sometimes it's because they want to save, 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 and they're afraid to spend. Sometimes it's because they'd rather spend it on other things. But if you're trying to get in the game and you're sick of doing it your way, because you may have just been stubborn and said, man, I'm not hiring a publicist, but you might, you might actually know you, you need one. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Take that step because in order for you to grow, you're going to need people to help you grow. Sure. You can do some things for yourself. Absolutely. I don't, I don't debate that at all. Absolutely not. It would be silly for me to say you can't grow without a publicist. Sure. You, you can. Right. But will you? Mm. We don't know. We don't. It's, anything's possible. But will you? So you more how, than likely don't have those resources. So you more than likely don't have those relationships. I'm sorry. So if people are interested in working with you, reaching out to you, what are the best avenues for people to do that? They can visit my website at ariparsonpr.com. And you can just peruse through, but you can go to the contact tab and you can just complete that little form on that contact page. And that will come straight to my team and I for us to check out. But I definitely encourage you to check out the website, read around um, and figure out what you like. Think about what you may need. Ask yourself why you might need a publicist, because your publicist might ask you, why do you think you need a publicist? Right. <laughs> and I like to tell people when I was in sales, I, I used to say this also, I'm an honest salesperson. And I even say that as a publicist, I'm an honest salesperson. So, and I say that because I told you this is world is buying and selling. You're buying or you're selling. Mm-hmm. I am not going to just do something knowing that you need something else. That's so silly. Right. It really, and that's not helping us. That's not helping black people. That's not helping build equity. That's taking that's stealing. So I'd rather say, look, I understand what you need. I don't have what you need, but I can at least try and point you in the right direction. I am that person. My team is that. My team are those people. Portia, Ari, thank you so much for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. The doors are open for us to continue this conversation in the future. If there's new initiatives or anytime you want to just chop it up and and come on the show, uh, you are invited back to come back on. And of course, uh, I want to stay in touch with you because I think there's uh, a lot of synergy uh, with both brands. And so uh, I want to invite that uh, that energy as well. Love it. Thank you for coming on the show and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, DJ. Talk soon. Thank you. We are truly grateful for today's guest. If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity Strategic Partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email, djm at djmotri.com. Once again, djm at djmotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guest you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.